It was my last year studying economics at the Singapore Institute of Management. A few years ago, I was talking to Mr. Giri Balasubramanyam, the man behind the Tata Crucible business quiz. Tata Crucible is a quizzing property of the Tatas that for thousands of Indian youth is the first direct touch with Tata history, as it was for me. Mr. Giri, or Pigbrain, as he is fondly known, was at a dinner with the winners of the quiz. Many top Tata executives from India and Singapore were there and naturally, Tata stories were being told. There was a lot of property damage, someone said. The topic was about the terrorist attacks that struck Mumbai in 2008. The centre of the attack had been the crown jewel of the Tata Hotel Empire, the Taj Mahal Palace, one that had stood in place even before the Gateway of India was built. Not only did the Tatas take care of employees, Pickbrain said, they also took care of the medical and other expenses for the vendors selling stuff outside the Taj. I remember wondering, what in the world they paid for people who weren't even their employees? Wow. Hello everyone, welcome to Talking of Giants, a podcast exploring the stories of giants of various fields. This is episode 3 in our three-part series exploring the rise of the Tatas from India and their ongoing legacy. I know not all of you listeners are from India, so let me paint you a picture. A man is sitting on a motorbike. He's not exactly poor by any Indian standard, but he isn't rich enough to own a car either. His wife, like many Indian women wearing a sari, is sitting sideways with both legs resting, facing one direction. One of the man's children, the eldest one of about four years, is sitting in front of him on the bike on the petrol tank. Another child, the younger one of maybe two years old, is held by her mother on her lap. For the uninitiated, this might sound unnerving, but for many in India, this is how travel works. As the kids grow up, the one on the tank would move to sitting in between the parents. Then the one dangling from a mother's arm would move onto the tank. Once they are both grown up, their mother would probably have to stay home to let the father take the kids out on the bike because the bike can't accommodate everyone anymore. This is a personal experience for many young Indian households, mine included. Huh, good times. A car could solve these troubles. Okay, let me correct myself. An affordable car could solve these troubles. Maybe not a cheap one, but at least one that you don't have to be a C-suite executive to be able to afford. A car being affordable doesn't just have to do with the metal used, obviously. It also has to do with how far off its place of manufacture is from the place of sale. The distances, the materials have to be transported before they are made into a car also adds to the cost. The cost of foreign expertise put in also costs a pretty penny. And most of all, taxes. Taxes. Taxes are a deal breaker. The, the best example for this would be Singapore. Being a small city, Singapore levies enormous amounts of tax. This is done to discourage car ownership and to encourage usage of public transport. This heavy tax in a city that could get as crowded as Singapore is a public good in the long term. But what if, what if in the case of a different country, 
the heavy tax was levied because of a protectionist policy. What if the country only had foreign car options to make it worse? And because they are foreign cars, they have huge tax on them. What if it creates a situation where the car suitable for the family always seems to be out of reach due to this tax? Now, how do we get the family of four into a car? A car which they could have afforded if they were at the same financial scale in a first world country. Reducing taxes maybe could do the job, but there are two problems. One is that taxes, even if they are protectionist, exist for a reason and the reasons are not necessarily always bad. Secondly, a foreign car might not always do right by the needs of an Indian family. Indian families, for example, travel with a lot of luggage. An Italian man might love a compact car, a Fiat perhaps. But it may not be sufficient for families that travel in bigger groups and their luggage. Well, sure, an American man's pickup or an SUV could do the trick. After all, a boat that can carry months worth of Costco purchases can also carry some Indian luggage. But those fuel-guzzling cars are hardly compatible for the thrifty Indian household. What an Indian household would therefore need is an indigenously designed car. Ideally, the car would have to be locally manufactured to keep the costs in check. This car would also be made to fit the way that Indian consumers behave. So, creating an ecosystem that can pump out one such product would change the way people live in a place. I wanted to talk today about how the quality of companies and their focus on specific products can change the standard of living of a population. Talking of this idea as part of the story of Tata's would bring us directly into the story of Tata Indica. Tata Indica is a car from the Tata Motors stable. Indica is a slightly cheesy but very apt name for a car that showed that an indigenous Indian car could achieve great heights. This is because the word Indica comes from the work of Megasthenes, the Greek historian. In this work, Indica is how he refers to India. To be clear, Indica is neither the first car or the most prestigious one from the Tata house. This is because they now own Jaguar Land Rover even. But it was the first indigenous Indian car that lived up to great expectations. Creating an indigenous car from scratch was no easy task. I mean, it's a whole car. It's not, it's not supposed to be easy. There are hundreds of moving parts. From the very basic design, it's a great challenge. And this was the 1990s. Computers were not cheap. Computer-aided design was not yet all that popular in India and more so it was extremely expensive to set up. They were huge machines and not exactly the computers of today. The computers of today can single-handedly edit a whole film and be small enough to fit on your table. But these were older computers. By this point, Jadi Tata had stepped down and paved the way for Ratan Tata to take over as the chairman of Tata Sons. Ratan Tata was a son of Naval Tata, who himself was a son of a different Ratanji Tata. The Ratanji Tata who was Jamshedji Tata, the founder's younger son. Sorry for the overload of info, just doing some basic housekeeping. 
Ratan Tata was now the chairman and he decided to invest a huge amount of money into setting up a separate division for the design of this new car along with the requisite computers. When this project was announced, as with most ambitious projects, it was criticized. Even if Ratan Tata did pull it off, the news outlets read, there would be no market for this car. It was hard for anyone to believe that a car of Indian make would amount to much. It was an uphill battle and an expensive one at that. Moreover, this is not a single company's job either. It is very tempting to assume that industry-changing pioneer products are the make of one company, that one company could single-handedly turn it around. Yes, yes, it might be true that a very significant percentage of the work is done by that one company, but making a great product also means making a sustainable product, one that can be created over and over again without breaking the bank. And this requires the right partners. And the partners being all the ancillary units that sell the parts that are fitted into the final product. If an indigenous car of a certain quality did not exist before that point, then obviously parts of that make and of that quality did not exist too. And if the car had to be indigenous, these parts had to be locally sourced. This meant that the Tatas under Ratan Tata had to convince many vendors to make parts of the needed quality. And these were vendors who were used to making truck components for the most part. These parts were not necessarily as precision sensitive as a next generation car part would have to be. It is a big change and creating that network of suppliers was key. The Tatas got down to work. Once the project kicked off, there were a hundred things to take care of. Problems arose frequently and they were being taken care of. Despite all of this, the Tatas were very clear that the work conditions for the employees had to be the best for them in order to deliver. There was one instance when Ratan Tata was making rounds around the factory floor. He noticed a particular station where a particular part was being made. To make this particular part, an employee had to bend forward twice to finish the make. Given that 300 of such products were being made on a daily basis, this would mean that the employee would have to bend 600 times a day as part of his job. This is simply unacceptable, Ratan Tata said. We cannot make our people do such work. Put a robot here. This way, robots were brought in to semi-automate the workloads. There were even a few cycles put along the factory floor so that the long commute of half a kilometer of the factory floor would be easier for the employees. A few things, of course, had to be imported from other countries like mirrors and seating systems. There was some design help that was taken from Turin, Italy. After a long steady journey, the final product, the car, was unveiled to the factory. A light purple car rolled out onto the factory floor amidst a lot of crowd looking on in anticipation.
this car would go on to become a very successful car and to this day is one of indian auto industry's great success stories having a car of this quality be locally made meant a lot to the indian population this can be illustrated with an interesting incident there was an instance where a tata employee was driving in indica this was later into the night and he was driving home he was being followed he noticed by a man on a motorbike fearing that he might be mugged this man started going faster but no matter how fast he went the motorbike caught up and the man on the motorbike managed to stop the indica by parking his motorbike in the way of the indica the tata employee was worried but when he finally noticed that the man had a small child with him he realized wait maybe he is not here to mug me it turns out the man wanted to show his son what an indica car looks like he and his son came over requested if they could see the car they touched the car felt it the kid was happy so was the father and they went away this meant a lot after all a car that was made in india all of this is great it's wonderful here's the problem stories like these don't always go the way we want take for example the same tata motors fast forward a decade a little over a decade this time ratan tata wanted to make another car but not one that the bike riding household would have to extend themselves to buy but a car that would cost hardly twice the cost of a bike a car for the price of a bike if realized the project would have put a steering in the hands of lakhs of households it would have given wheels of freedom of travel to the thriftiest of families but the tata nano as this project was called was hardly as much a success as the tata indica it had a lot of problems and after a few years of having a less than desired record it was discontinued does this mean it is a bad idea to enter a market that is needed by the country but is not serviced to i don't think so i think failures are a part of how the successes become so strong it also gives more merit to these attempts because hey if everything was bound to succeed everyone would be making a car wanting to make a car is nothing new it's been around for decades even hitler of all people wanted to make a car a people's car was what he wanted to make a volkswagen that's what it literally means a people's car maybe i'll talk about that in detail some day but what makes a private sector entity's idea great is going into this despite the risk will they make a lot of money from it one may ask as they should the idea that i am putting forth is not that 
any of the budding industries Tata's got into is purely for national service. The idea is that it doesn't have to be. The idea is that it doesn't have to be and yet it could mean a grand lot to a country. This idea of catering to a sector of population that is not cared about doesn't have to be purely a service. It could be a business strategy. A strategy that will end up in public gain, but a strategy that doesn't necessarily have to start with public gain as a sole objective. There is a grand beauty of all the Tata tales. Jamsed Ji Tata wants a hotel of high quality for India. He goes on and builds a great hotel in a time when Indians are not even allowed into the fancy hotels. That hotel stands today as a crown jewel. The Taj Mahal Palace. On top of it, Tatas have built a chain of hotels that are now known for their hospitality. And at the same time, there was no steel factory of substance in India. India would have not been able to move ahead with its grand plan for post-independence if not for the enterprising individuals who invested in long-term projects. In long-term projects, when India was not even owned by Indians and was a British colony. Having done that, not only did Jamshedji Tata create a great steel factory that stands to this day, he created a model city in the eastern state of Jharkhand in India, the city of Jamshedpur. Hydropower was one other such thing. In a country ruled by the British, investing into something as long-term as hydropower was a heavy gamble. Who knew if you would get the requisite permissions? What if the permissions were cancelled midway? What if you had to give it up because the colonial powers that be deemed so? The same stands for the times of J.R.D. Tata, the man that came a couple decades after the chairmanship of Jamshedji Tata. No aviation in India? He took India to the skies. The company, though it went through troubled times after it was taken away into government hold, was the basis for the now thriving airline sector in India. It was business, good business, but it supported a need. Apart from all of this, the Tatas have also been generous apart from their business. A significant stake in the holding company of the Tatas, Tata Sons, is owned by philanthropic trusts. I went down that rabbit hole after I heard the story of Tata support post the Mumbai terrorist attacks. I was surprised at how many initiatives and institutions benefit from the Tata group. Simply put, the Tata name has made being useful to fellow beings not a service but a way of being. They made nation building a business strategy. By this marriage of service and efficiently run business, they have created a behemoth that helps and empowers millions. It has been my pleasure exploring the story of Tatas through the series. My special thanks to Pigbrain Mr. Giri Balasubramanian for the myriad of Tata stories I have heard from him. My thanks to Mr. Harish Bhatt, Mr. Shashank Shah and Mr. Girish Kuber. The works of who have been very important in creating this tiny speck of a narrative about the Tatas. And through this journey, I have learnt a lot. 
I hope you've enjoyed this series. Thank you for sticking around. Talking of Giants is a student wiki podcast hosted by Vikyat Mutyala. The soundtrack was composed by Bertie Ashley. You can find me Vikyat Mutyala at talkingofgiants at gmail.com. That is talkingofgiants at gmail.com.